Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Activate God's Purpose, where we yield our humanity to God's divinity. Let's talk about Gideon. Gideon, arise, or arise, O Gideon. The story of Gideon is found in Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7. There are other chapters, but today let's focus on chapter 6 and chapter 7. So reading from chapter 6, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Let me ask you something, my brother, my sister, dear listener. Have you ever been so oppressed that you have had to find, you have had to hide out in mountains, you have had to hide in a cave, hide in some sort of fortress, a hiding place, a stronghold, because the oppression was so strong. Whatever that fortress or stronghold looks like, whatever that mountain cleft looks like, whatever that hideout looks like, you had to build it to hide from something or from someone that was so oppressive, that was so abusive, that was so destructive. You had to find a way to hide, to build something around you, to shield yourself from them, to shield your loved ones from them, to shield your finances from them. Whatever the oppression was or is or still is, you have had to find yourself building something that you can hide in. You know, let me advise you to read Psalm 91. That's the best hiding place because that is where you're hiding in God. You're hiding under the shadow of his wings. Yes, you can build your own fortress, but there's a fortress that is more powerful than any other kind of fortress. And that is the kind of fortress that God will build around you. The Bible says that he is, he is our shield and our buckler, our exceeding great reward. He is the glory and the lifter up of our heads. He is our strong tower. He hides us in the secret place under the shadow of his wings. So if you need a hiding place, the best hiding place is God. Allow him to build a hedge around you. Allow him, as the Bible says, to encompass you, even as the mountains encompass Jerusalem. Let God be your stronghold. So we continue to read chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. We're now on verse 3. It says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. You see, have you found yourself in a situation, my brother, my sister, dear listener, where you're, you're building something, you're planting, but something always happens. Maybe it's right when what you're building is beginning to flourish. What you've built is beginning to blossom. What you've built is beginning to shine. Something just comes and destroys it. 
eats it up. And you feel so defeated and so down and so low because you put your everything into it. You had a dream and something came and killed that dream. An enemy stronger than you. The Bible says, I believe it's in Psalm 35, when David was crying out to God, he recognized that the army, was too, his enemies were too strong for him. And so he cried out to God. He said, God, you are stronger than my enemies. You make me stronger than my enemies. God will make you stronger than your enemies, dear listener. All you have to do is turn to him. And so, and, and before I continue, he makes you stronger spiritually. He makes you stronger mentally. He makes you stronger emotionally. He makes you stronger physically. And he makes you stronger financially. In all the areas that matter, God will make you stronger. And so every time the Israelites planted, they did something good. They did something productive. They did something constructive. They did something, put things together, planted things for their living, for their survival. These Midianites, Amalekites, these Eastern people would come in and destroy what the Israelites had built. And so it says in verse 4, they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Now, most people would blame God and say, God, why? Why did you let this happen? Why did you allow this to happen? And there are cases that God would, would allow certain things to happen. But when you look at um, chapter 6, in this particular instance, when you look at chapter 6, verse 1, which is the chapter we're reading, the first line says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There are times when we do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we don't repent. We keep doing it. We know it's not good. We know we shouldn't be doing it. We know that God isn't happy. But we continue. So there are effects. There are consequences. There are results and outcomes to the things that we do. And results. And sometimes we even know. But yet we continue. So this wasn't uh, some sort of, oh, they made a mistake. Or... Um, they didn't know what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. And so, what does the Bible say? It says that um, these Amalekites, these Midianites, they did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. They're like locusts. The enemy came like, a lo like locusts and they ate up everything, took up everything, everything the Israelites had planted, the crops, every good thing they had. These people came like locusts. Have you ever seen 
locusts, maybe not live, but if you've ever watched those nature movies where they're talking about different types of animals and they have segments on locusts, if you see a swarm of them and what they can do to masses of land, just eating up everything, eating up everything. And that's what the Amalekites and the Midianites were doing to the Israelites to a point where they had to hide. So you get the picture. There are times that we do things that get us into trouble. There are times that we do things that invite evil, things that invite wickedness into our lives. And we don't understand the gravity and the enormity of the wickedness and the evil that we are inviting into our lives because we're living in the moment. We're enjoying whatever it is that we're doing. We're being rebellious towards God. We're having fun. We, have, we take pleasure in the wrongdoing that we're performing in that particular moment. And so what happens is in that moment of enjoyment, we forget God and we forget that there will be a price to pay. So right now, I just want all of us to pause and think about anything we're doing that we're not supposed to be doing. And we can't even begin to fathom the consequence of what we're doing. But we need to stop and ask for mercy. We need to stop, repent, and turn to God and ask for mercy. We need to stop before the invasion of the Amalekite and the Midianites come into our lives. Now, you could say uh, um, those tribes don't exist anymore. Well, I don't know geography. I don't know much about the history of Midianites and Amalekites, except for what I know in the Bible. But what I do know is that they are symbolic and they represent the kind of evil and wickedness, the kind of heartache and problems and troubles that we end up opening the door to because of the pleasures, the rebellion, the things that we know we should not be into, we know we should not be doing, but we're doing them. And we leave the door open, we leave the windows open, we leave our lives wide open, we leave our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, our hearts wide open for the Midianites and the Amalekites to come as locusts, to invade our lives, to destroy whatever good thing is left of us. And we are unable to defeat them. It's gone too deep. It's gone too far. What do you do in that type of situation? Yes, you can hide in the mountain clefts and in the caves and in the strongholds, but for how long? Yes, you can keep trying to replant and rebuild and reconstruct and renovate. It all just comes crumbling down again because these locusts called the Amalekites and the Midianites will continue showing up, will continue appearing. How do you defeat them? How do you conquer them? So let's continue. Judges chapter 6, we are now on verse, um, verse 6. It says, Midian so impoverished 
the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When you look at the uh, um, the Message Bible, it says um, they marched in and devastated the country. The Midianites and the Amalekites, when they enter, when you let them in, they come in to destroy, to devastate, to annihilate. They kill. It, it, the Bible says that the devourer will come in to do what? To still, to kill, to bring death. It says they marched in, they marched in and devastated the country. The people of Israel, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian, cried out to God for help. The Midianites reduced them to poverty, reduced them. In other words, they had a certain status. They had a good way of living. They were good to go. Things were fine. But now they're devastated. To what? To grinding poverty. Not just poverty, but grinding poverty. What grinding poverty do you find yourself in right now? Why? It could be poverty of the spirit, poverty of the mind, poverty of the heart, poverty of the soul, financial poverty, poverty of your health. The Bible says, I wish that you would prosper. Even as your soul prospers, we're supposed to be prospering. Our spirits, our souls, our minds, our bodies are supposed to be healthy. They're supposed to be prospering. Yes, it's good to have finances. The, body, the, the Bible says money is, is, is good. Is necess- in, mon- money is a necessity. But what's the point of having money when your soul, your mind, your heart, your body are sick? Grinding poverty. The Israelites had decided to put God aside. They had decided to forget God. And when they did that, they left the doors wide open for the Midianite and their Malachites to devastate them and bring them to grinding poverty. And that's what a lot of us do. We leave God out of the picture. We leave him out of the picture. We make our own choices, take our own steps, make our own decisions. We act like he doesn't exist. Some of us want to believe that he doesn't exist. And the Amalekite and the Midian, Midianites who are like locusts, are waiting right around the corner. Waiting for us to leave ourselves naked to their destruction. And we're building without God. We're constructing without God. And it doesn't last. Right? The Bible says we should build upon the rock so that when the storms come, who is the rock? What is the rock? Who is the rock? The rock is Jesus Christ. So when the storms come, because they will come, the Bible doesn't promise us that there will not be any storms. They will come. The difference is, are we anchored in Jesus or anchored on sand and mud? Material things, philosophy, tradition, and culture. 
our own arrogance, our own intellect, our degrees, our titles and positions, what are we anchored in? What will happen when the storms blow? What will happen when the Midianites and the Amalekites come for us? Well, thankfully, they turned to the Lord for help. They turned to God for help. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I brought you up. I delivered you from the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors, not some, all your oppressors, 100%, all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And we, we human beings have this tendency. We don't listen to God. We forget all that he's done for us. We don't follow his instructions. And then the Midian and the Amalekites come and invade our lives. And then we start crying, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh Jesus, Oh Holy Spirit. But look at what God says. He says, you have not listened to me. What did you do? You went and you worshipped the gods of the Amorites. You worship the gods in whose land you live. You worship the gods in, who, in, who, in the lands that I gave you after I freed you from slavery. You turned around, refused to worship me. You turned and you worshipped man-made gods. I mean, my brother, my sister, dear listener, that's a slap in the face of God. That is poking our fingers in the eye of God after he would have delivered us after he would have given us the land instead of turning and worshipping him and praising him we're turning and worshipping the gods of the land made by the hand of man and not giving God the glory God forbid God forbid may that not be our story And now they've turned to God. And God sent his prophet and said, let me remind you, in case you have conveniently forgotten, I did deliver you. You were slaves in Egypt. I brought you out. But apparently that didn't teach you anything. That didn't show you anything. Because what did you do? You turned your backs on me and you decided to worship other gods. And now you have to hide. And now whatever you build, they come and they destroy. So what do we do now? God said to them, you have not listened to me. Let me read the, uh, the message version. I, I usually read from the NIV, the New International Version. So let me read that particular part from the Message Bible. Verses 7 to 10. One time, 
When the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, God sent them a prophet with this message. Go, sorry, God sent them a prophet with this message. God, the God of Israel, says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. Why does that word sound familiar? Brutality. And then from every oppressor. I, oppre- I, I saved you. I delivered you from every kind of oppression. Mental oppression, spiritual oppression, financial oppression, physical oppression, emotional oppression, you name it. I saved you. I saved you from slavery. I saved you from brutality. I saved you from oppression. I pushed them out of your way and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am your God. I am God, your God. Don't for a minute be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But you didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. And that's what a lot of us don't do. We don't spend time with God. We don't read his word. We don't try to get to know him. We're busy, you know, chasing money. We're busy chasing titles. We're busy chasing material things. We're busy chasing human relationships. We're busy chasing all kinds of things. We're so busy. And those things become idolatry because they become our gods. They become our idols. Our actions become idolatry because those things have become our idols. And God is saying, he said, you're not listening to me. You didn't listen to me. You're still not listening to me. Please, let's listen to God. The times are dark. The times are hard. The times are difficult. And it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get any better. So let's start taking this seriously. Let's start taking God very seriously because the Amalekites, the Midians, they are ready. Remember what they are symbolic of. They are symbolic of any evil, any dark oppression, any wickedness. That's what that is symbolic of. It's a spirit, the spirit of oppression, spirit of suppression, spirit of brutality, spirit of enslavement and slavery. They are oppressing spirits. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places. That's what it's talking about. There are things that are deeper than just our earth realm that we need to know, we need to understand, we need to see. There are other things that there, there are calculated manipulations that are going on behind closed doors. Spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness, principalities and powers. That's what these Amalekites and Midians represent. And unfortunately, there are people who work with these spirits. There are people who embrace these spirits. They abuse other people. They allow themselves to be used to abuse other people. They allow themselves to be used to enslave and oppress and be brutal to other people. 
and they actually enjoy it. In verse 11, we're still on chapter 6, verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon was hiding in a winepress threshing wheat from the Midianites. Threshing, he was hiding, sorry, from the Midianites, hiding, he was threshing this wheat in a, a wine press. A wine press is where you make wine. It's where you make wine. It's not for wheat. But the situation was so dire, it was so difficult, it was so grim that he had to take the crops, the wheat, and take them down into the wine press to thresh the wheat. <sighs> when you have to take wheat into a wine press because you're hiding and you can't make the wine in the wine press, you can't thrash the wheat outside where you should be thrashing it, Something is very wrong. There's a disconnect, disconnect. There's a displacement and a misplacement. Something is off. Something is not right. Something is not correct. And why? Because we get ourselves into situations that displace us, that disconnect us, that misplace us. We get ourselves into situations that need to be corrected and it's, all, it's going to take only the hand of God and the presence of God to deliver us. And God is saying, I did not give you all these good gifts for you to turn your back on me and worship other gods and worship the gift. I'm the giver of the gift. You worship me, not the gift. You worship me, not, you, not, not the pleasures that you find in the gift. Now you fear the gift more than you fear the giver of the gift. Who, and the giver is I, the Lord. Now you've turned the gift into an idol. And now you've opened the doors to slavery, to brutality, to oppression. We continue to read verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. And Gideon says, Pardon me, my Lord? You know, <laughs> am I the one you're speaking to or is there somebody else down here in this wine press? Because... If you're talking to me, Lord, I don't see a mighty warrior. Exactly who are you talking to, God? I don't see anybody else in here. It's just you and I. But I know you're not calling me a mighty warrior. It 
I say, so he says in verse 13, pardon me, Lord, pardon me, my Lord. But when you look at the Message Bible version, it says, Gideon replied, with me, my master? He says, are you talking to me? He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see, there are two things happening here. First of all, Gideon is saying, we heard about you, God. Our ancestors told us about you. Our people, generations before us, told us about how you delivered us. But, you know, the first thing I think that's happening here is, for example, in our world, let me bring it to our modern times. What are we telling the younger generation about God? What are we saying to them? Are we training them in the ways of God, even if it seems like they're not listening? Are we telling them about God? Yes, our ancestors, I have a grandpa who's passed away, who walked with God. I watched him. And I'm sure for a fact that he's one of the reasons why I'm here today doing what I'm doing. I used to watch him. He would be on his knees for hours and hours just talking to God. And I would go and peep in to watch grandpa (laughs) talking to God for hours, praying, reading the word. I mean, hours a day, every single day, every single day. My grandpa spent time with God. And so he passed on. He would wake us up in the morning and we would have morning prayers, morning worship, every single day. And so there's a seed that has been sown. He sowed that seed. My ancestors sowed that seed. Now, not every ancestor of mine sowed the seed of God for our lineage. And we have also seen those effects. But I'm also seeing the effect of a grandpa, of an ancestor who spent time with God. I can tell the difference between the two and the effects of the two. Of a grandpa who spent time with God and of other people in my lineage who tampered with other things and let in the Midianites and the Amalekites, opened the door to them. And it's been a battle, if not for God. If not for God, even I wouldn't be here talking to you today in this podcast So now he says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. God did not abandon them. This is the second part. God did not abandon them. God did not give them into the hand of the Midian. They threw themselves at Midian. They opened the door for Midian. They opened the door for the Amalekites. We can't blame God here. 
our actions, we have to be honest with ourselves when our actions bring calamity upon us, when our actions bring problems and troubles upon us. And we have to be humble enough to repent and to go to God and ask for mercy and say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I have really, really, really messed up. In your mercy, deliver me. That's one thing David always did. Always go back to God and ask God to deliver him. Verse 15. No, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Look at how merciful God is. Even though they had turned away from him, even though now Gideon is blaming him, what did God say? See, God always has a purpose. God always has a mission. And he's not carried away by our frivolities. God isn't carried away by our emotions and the stupid things we do. God has a plan. And thank God that the plan is a merciful one. Like allowing his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Such mercy. Who has ever done that? Who will ever do that for us? So he says to Gideon, all right, thank you. That's all right. You think I allowed this on your life or your people's lives. I didn't. But I'm not going to sit with you and have the discussion. Here's what you're going to do. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Now, let me tell you, my brother, my sister, dear listener, Gideon, Gideon wasn't thinking that he had any strength. Gideon wasn't thinking that he had any power. Gideon didn't have a plan. Gideon was hiding in the wine press, threshing wheat. Gideon did not think anything of himself. But this God, this God, this God, who knew Gideon, why? Because he created Gideon. He knew that a time such as this would come and that the world would need Gideon. And that Gideon's people would need Gideon. God, who knew this already, because it was written in the volume of the book concerning Gideon. None of this took God by surprise. So God didn't sit there and argue with him. God gave him a command. He knows that he put strength in Gideon. So he wasn't carried away or intimidated by Gideon feeling weak. He didn't say, okay, well, you know, maybe we should change the plans and just go at your pace, Gideon. No, God knows the power that he had put in Gideon. So Gideon, wherever you are, and I'm using the name Gideon, representative of whoever is listening, whoever you are. Maybe the locusts have eaten Anything you have put your hand on, anything you've produced, anything you've constructed, anything you've renovated, anything you've built, the locusts have come, the Midianites, the Amalekites, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, wickedness, Judases, people who've betrayed you have come and they've destroyed 
that which you planted, that which you're trying to grow, that which you want to blossom. And they've come as locusts. And perhaps you were like the Israelites at the time. They had turned their backs on God and were idolizing and allowed such evil to happen to them. You're listening to this podcast because there's Gideon. There's a spirit of Gideon. You are a Gideon. And the Lord is saying, I know you've been threshing wheat in the wine press, but it's time for you to rise up in the strength and the power that I have built you with, that I, unknown to you, you have it in you. Because of what has happened to you, you don't know it. But I, God, who made you, who saw you being formed in your mother's womb, I know what I've put in you. I know the power that I've put in you. I know the strength that I have given you. And so he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Save Israel, O Gideon. Arise, put your name there. Maybe it's you that your family needs right now to rise up. Maybe it's you that your country needs to rise up. Maybe it's you that your brothers and your sisters, whoever, I don't know, your job needs you to rise up. Arise, O Gideon. Go in the strength and the might that God has given you, has built you with. God is saying, go. He says, and God, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and do what? Save. Not only do you have the strength, but you have the power to save your people. And then God asks Gideon, am I not sending you? Am I not? I, God, I am that I am, the all-sufficient one, the all-powerful God, Am I not the one sending you? I am the one. Go in that confidence. So you might be in a Gideon situation right now, my brother, my sister, dear listener. Go in the strength. Go in the courage. Go in the power that God has built you in. Speak to him. Ask him the questions. Talk to him if you're not sure. David always talked to him. Always asked for the presence of God before he did something. Inquire of the Lord and he will answer you. Cry out to the Lord and he will show you great and hidden things. Oh, Gideon. No pity party. No feeling sorry for yourself. The days of feeling sorry for yourselves are over. Arise, oh, Gideon. Arise. Verse 15. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? How can I save Israel? My goodness. Even after God has said to him, am I not sending you? He still says, how can I save Israel? So all he's looking at is himself, not even God's power, not God's strength. 
He keeps looking at himself. Stop looking at yourself, my brother. Stop looking at yourself, my sister. <laughs> oh, dear listener, stop looking at yourself. Look at God. The Bible says, I will look up to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from God, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. So set your eyes on God. Fix your eyes on God. Don't look left. Don't look right. Look up to him. Hallelujah. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. He says, not not only is my clan the weakest. Lord have mercy. Not only do I come from the weakest of weakest. But even I am the least. So all the odds are against me, O God. All the odds are against me. What should I do? You're telling me to go. And I'm saying to you, Lord, I'm too weak. That I am too weak for this. It says, God, you have the wrong person. You have the wrong person. I'm not the person for this job. And God is saying, am I not the one sending you? Am I not the one telling you to go? See, God has seen ahead of you, my brother. God has seen ahead of you, my sister, dear listener. He knows what you are built with. He knows what you are equipped with because he equipped you. He knows how he built you. God doesn't stutter. He's all the way confident. And he knows that he's not sending you in your own power because your own power, your own strength will fail you. He's not sending you in your own wisdom and tactics and strategies and techniques and skills. He's sending you in his glorious power. He's all the way with you. In, in front of you, behind you, beside you, he's everywhere. He will go before you as a cloud in the day and go with you as fire in the night. So you've got to believe. Arise, O Gideon. The world needs you. Your family needs you. Your children need you if you have children. People need you. The earth needs you. Gideon, arise, arise. And so he says, um, I am the least in my family. And verse 16, we're still on chapter 6. The Lord answers, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. He says, God says, I will be with you. And my brother, my sister, <laughs> dear listener, when God says, I will be with you, he will be with you. For those of us who have seen God fight our battles, God deliver us, we know what this means. What an experience. I mean, you, you just sit in, 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 in um, consternation, wondering how did this happen? How could it have happened? Well, it's God. Don't know how, but he did it. He made a way. Right? Don't know why, but I'm grateful. He made a way. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. That's our God. That's our God. And so he says he will be with him. He said, go and destroy the enemy. Strike them down. 
and leave none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. See, Gideon now, he realizes that this has got to be God, but you know, he's human. And he's been through so much. He's been brutalized and oppressed and enslaved for so long. He's been hiding in caves for so long. Could this be true now? Could God really be visiting him? Could God really be calling him a valiant man? Could God really be giving him instructions to go and save his people? He, him, what? Gideon? Could it possibly be me? You know, and he's probably thinking, someone give me a mirror. Let me look at myself and ask God if, he's, if he thinks he's got the right man. But God knows he's got the right man. God knows he's got the right woman, you know. And again, I'm using Gideon as a symbol, a symbolic, that whether you're a man or a woman or a young child or or a youth or young adult, God has need of you. God wants to use you. And when he wants to use you, when he is ready, he will show you a sign. He will pay you a visit some way or the other, and you will know that it's him. And when he appears like that, he's ready to go to work on your behalf, on the behalf of your loved ones, on behalf of your nation. And he's chosen you. He's chosen you. But you know how it is. Your sins, your mistakes, your, <laughs> your setbacks, and all the things that make you feel like you're not worthy will kick in. They'll kick in and make you look at yourself and look around you like, God, are you really talking to me? Or is there somebody else in the room? No, there's nobody else in the room. God is talking to you. Yes, you. Arise, O Gideon. And so, <laughs> hallelujah. Ooh, God is good. God says in verse 16, The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none behind. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have, found, I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. See, for him to say, he's, please do not go away, now he realizes that, yes, this is God. And so what does he do? To, he, he wants to give an offering. <clears throat> he wants to worship. And he says to God, don't go away. Let me go get my offering. You see, when we recognize God, when we see him, we ought to worship. We ought to worship. Even though all this had happened to Gideon, even though his ancestors, right, and, and the, the people before him had acted as though God had abandoned Israel, when it was them who had actually abandoned God in, in reality, even though he came from the least of the least, even though he considered himself the least of the least, once he recognized that, wait a minute, this is God, he went into worship. He did not look at his situation or his poverty or the brutality that was done to him. He did not look at the enslavement or the slavery or the, the, the condition of slavery that he had lived in and how he had had to live in cages, I mean, in, in caves and mountains and hide in the mountains. He didn't keep his eyes on the locusts. He recognized, wait a minute, this is God. And so he has a conversation with him. He says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. 
He says, now I see you. I, I, I get that this is you, but just for my humanity, just for my human mind, just so that I know I'm not dreaming, give me a sign. Give me a sign, Lord, that it is really you talking to me. Um, and please don't go away because even though I'm asking for a sign, I do know it's you. So I want to go bring an offering. I want to worship you. In every situation, the Bible says in every situation we should give thanks. No matter what you're going through right now, worship God. No matter what has happened in the past, worship God. No matter what is currently happening, worship Him. What, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the wonderful, the magnificent, worship Him. Right? And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Wow. I will wait until you return. God trusted Gideon. God, God is like saying, okay, you, you, I'm, I'm trusting you, no matter what has happened, that you are a man of integrity. If you tell me you're going to come back and worship, you're going to come back and worship. You see, God isn't keeping his eyes on what Gideon's ancestors and the Israel's, Israelites at that present time were doing. God didn't say to him, well, let's see if you'll actually come back and worship me. Because after all, all you all have been doing or all your people have been doing is worshiping the idols of the land. God did not do that. God is not petty. He's not vindictive. And so he says to him, okay, I will wait for you. I'll be here. I'll wait for you to return. The Bible says Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him, offered them to God under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock. So you see, Gideon got his sign. Consuming the meat and the bread, Gideon asked for a sign. He got a sign. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Hallelujah. So God, uh, um, what's what I'm looking for? God indulged him. Gideon asked for a sign. So go ahead, my brother, my sister, dear listener, if you need a sign, ask him. Did you really call me? Do you really have a purpose and, a, and an agenda for my life? What am I here for? All this that has happened, can something good come out of it? Can something good come out of me? Can something good come out of me? Yes. Oh, Gideon, something good can come out of you because God put something good in you and God is about to come for that good thing. And that good thing in you is not just for you, but it, it is to save your people. It is to save the world. It is to save a people. It, is, it has a function. It has something to accomplish. It is an assignment, a calling that you are chosen specifically by God to accomplish, to complete 
It's in you to establish something on this earth. Something no man can give you. Something no technology, no degree, no college level, university level, no elementary school, middle school, high school, no teacher, no mother, no father, no professional, no expert can give you. Something beyond your mind, beyond what your eyes can see, beyond what your ears can hear. Something that a human being did not create. Something a human being cannot do with you or through you. Only God can. So ask him for a sign if you have to. And Gideon exclaimed, he said he had seen the, the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. See, the reason why the angel had to say that was because the Bible says that we cannot see God face to face and live. The angel that Gideon saw was representative of God. It was representative of God. It was God, <laughs> how am I going to put this so it doesn't sound odd or strange to you? It, God embodied in the angel. I wonder if that makes sense. But he's representing God. And he is God. But he had to come in the form of an angel. Okay, that sounds better. He is God, but he had to come in the form of an angel. Because if he came as the, in the fullness of himself, of himself as God, Gideon would not have been able to stay alive. You cannot see God and remain alive. So when Gideon realized, oh my goodness, this angel is not just an angel. This is God himself that has visited me. So you see, God himself will visit you, my brother, and he'll visit you in a form, my sister, dear listener, that you are able to, to absorb in a form that will not kill you. He cannot and will not come in his full form. We cannot take it as human beings. It's too much for us. And so Gideon was scared when he realized that this is God himself. He looked like an angel. He's in the guise of an angel, but it's actually him. But God transformed himself to pay Gideon a visit. If God has to transform himself to pay you a visit, yes, he will. You are that precious. I am that precious. Our loved ones, people of this world are that precious that if God has to transform himself into an angel to come and speak to us and give us strength and courage, so we can accomplish the assignment he's given us, he will do so. Sometimes he'll send people, but you'll know what's happening. Sometimes he'll send angels, you'll know. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to you or reveal himself to you in a manner where you'll know that this is nothing, no one, no one but God. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Hmm. But the Lord, sorry, verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. 
to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssrites or Abyssrites of the Abyssrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's house, from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Hmm. That's the first assignment God gives Gideon. Very dangerous. If you understand spiritual things, you can't go and tear down or tear down the altar of Baal. You can't just go and cut down the Asherah pole. These are things that altars built to spirits, built to Satan, to worship. This is idolatry, idol worship, satanic worship, <laughs> evil worship, nothing to do with God Almighty. You can't just go ordinarily with your physical human self and intellect and understanding and pull those things down. It takes a power to destroy a power. And to destroy those things, you need God, period. You need the power of God. These things have been around for a long time. Ancient demons. They know all the tricks in the book. And they're not weak. And they're very strategic. And if you don't know how to handle them, don't tamper with them. Unless God sends you and God sent Gideon. And gave him the instruction. He says, take the second bull from your father's herd. The one seven years old. The one seven years old. You see how strategic God is. The second bull and the one that is seven years old. Says, then tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. On the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. That's just a lot of deep spiritual stuff going on there. But pretty much what God is saying is the very wood of the idols that your people worshipped, take that wood and make it fire, burn it to ashes. And then and 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 worship me, purify. Lay lay a sacrifice with the bull that I've said I've 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 asked you to get the second bull, not the first, not the third, not the fourth, but the second one. Always good to follow God's direct instructions. Verse twenty seven. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family, I mean naturally, right? He'd be afraid. And the townspeople, he did it, did it at night rather than in the daytime. And, you know, at least he did it, right? He didn't do it during the day. He was scared. He was afraid. Of course, he's going to be afraid of a bunch of people who are doing satanic worship, evil worship, idolatry. Do you, have you ever seen people so angry about those idols and they become so vicious about what they worship? It's a horrendous sight. It's a fearful sight. So yeah, I don't blame Gideon for doing it at night. Where, and then at least he can get it 
get God's um, instructions accomplished. Afraid, but accomplished. Then it says, in the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. Hallelujah. Gideon had destroyed Baal's altar. He had demolished it, and he built the altar of the Lord. He built the altar of God. And he took the second bull and sacrificed it. Only God knows what these people were sacrificing at the altar of Baal. Only God knows. I hear if historically it was more of human worship. Taking children. The Bible says, I forget the scripture. It says they took their children and sacrificed their children to, to Moloch, the God who likes the blood of children. Okay, let's not go into that because that's a whole other um, that's a whole other podcast. It says um, they asked each other who did this. When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, "Bring out your son. He must die." You see how vicious they get about their idols and their gods about their satanic worship. You see how vicious they, they wanted to see blood and Gideon's blood. But remember, God had said to Gideon, I'm going with you, I'm with you, which means they're going to have to conquer God, defeat God before they can get to Gideon. <laughs> so um, bring, your, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar. They didn't even say, oh, thank God. Gideon was brave enough to destroy this Baal's altar and bring us back to our God. They, didn't, they were not thankful for that. They were mad at him. How dare you pull down Satan's altar and build God's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it? But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Thank God for fathers, thank God for parents, for loved ones, family and friends, whoever, who will stand up at last, for the truth. And it says, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And Gideon's father is right. Joash is correct. If Baal is really a god, surely he can defend himself. Let him come and defend himself. Don't tell me you're going to come kill my son. Let's see if this Baal... Israel is real. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubal. They gave him the name Jerubal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. <laughs> Baal will not be able to contend with Gideon. Why? Because God said to Gideon, have I not sent you? I will be with you. Which Baal is going to come and contend with Gideon? When God, the Almighty himself, is with Gideon and he sent Gideon. That's why when you make your choices and your decisions, make sure that you are sent by God. He will protect you if he sent you. Now, now all the Midianites, Amalekites and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon 
and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers through Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, my, by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So it's very okay for you to talk to God. It's very okay to ask him for a sign. But whatever you do, even after all that, still rise up. Still follow the instruction. So we're now on um, chapter 7. It says, early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So God is saying to, to, um, to Gideon, You have too many, um, your army is too big. There are too many men here. If you go with this army to destroy the enemy, Israel is not going to turn around and thank me and worship me. Israel is going to say that their own strength saved them. You see, God knows people. God knows our innermost thoughts. The Bible says he knows the motives and the intents of our hearts. Then he says in verse 3, Now announce, announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. While 10,000 remained, 22,000 men were trembling in fear. Can you imagine that? While 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. 300 out of the 10,000. They cupped their hands and they lapped the water like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. And you can read the rest of um, chapter 7. God had already told Gideon that he was going to give him strength. 
that he, he strengthened him. And so God did not need the 20-something thousand nor the 10,000. He needed just 300 men with Gideon. And why? Because these 300 men were watchful. They drank the water, and the way they drank the water was with their eyes wide open. They cupped their hands, and they lapped like dogs. They looked up. They were looking up. They were focused. They were paying attention. When you're working, you see, it's not in the numbers, right? It's not in the numbers. It's in the people who have been called, who have been chosen to walk with you, the people who have been skilled and built by God to walk with you and to do what he has called you to do. The assignment, Gideon, that God has called you to do. There are a people. And so when you arise, when you worship, when you make that sacrifice, when you pull down the altars of idols, when you follow the instruction of God and you've asked him for a sign, he's shown you the sign, he's shown you that he is with you, that his strength goes with you. You don't need the crowd. You need a few genuine people. You need a few who have caught the revelation. You need a few who understand it. You need the system of God and not the system of man. You need the strategy of God and not the strategy of man. You need to see things with God's eyes, hear things with God's ears and not in your own humanity or your own understanding and lean not on the arm of flesh. It'll fail you. Do not lean on people. It'll fail you. Trust in the Lord with all your might and all your strength, O Gideon, and arise for God has given you his strength and God has given you a few. He's given you the few who will help you and assist you in accomplishing whatever assignment that he has for you. Yes, you were threshing wheat in the wine press. Yes, the Midianites and Amalekites took everything away from you. But rise up, O Gideon. Yes, your tribe, your clan is the least. Not only that, you are the least in your own least clan or tribe. The least of the least of the least. But you are the one that God has his eyes on. You are the one that God is paying a visit. You are the one that God is showing up to. Oh, Gideon, it's time. It's time. The world has need of you. Arise, oh, Gideon, in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's time. Stop looking at the Amalekites. Stop looking at the mistakes, the, the, the doors and the windows that let them into your life in the first place. Lay down the brutality. Lay down the, the slavery. Lay down the oppression and the enslavement. When I say lay down, I mean don't allow them to consume you because God is visiting you. And God is saying, regardless of that brutality, regardless of that oppression, regardless of that slavery, regardless of what is done to you, regardless of the suppression, regardless of what the locusts have eaten from your life, I, God, I am your strength. And I have a strategic plan for you to accomplish. And not even Baal can bring you down. Not the altars of Baal can bring you down. They cannot. The Asherah pole cannot bring you down. Matter of fact, light the fire, burn the pole. Burn it to ashes. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And I don't need many with you because the, if, if you have many with you, when the battle is won, they will take credit for it. But nobody shares my glory. The Bible says God does not share his glory with anyone. When God does something, you'll know he did it. There's no way any person who is genuine and honest and has integrity, there's no way they can say, I did it or my people did it. No, you would say God did it. Because when you look at all the signs and how everything came about, you, you know that it's just God. You know it's him. You know it's him. And so Gideon, it's time. Arise. Yes, you valiant man, you man of valor. Don't be looking at the mirror, looking around you, wondering if you're the one God is talking to or looking at. Yes, it's you. It's you. He's talking to you. He's talking to you, Gideon. God bless you. God strengthen you. God keep you. And may you fulfill all that God has for you, all that God has instructed you to do, every assignment, every step. And to him, to him alone, be all the glory and all the praise. May he bring the right people to you. May you recognize them when you see them. May you understand that it's not the crowd, but there's a number that God has for you to walk with and to accomplish what you were sent to this earth to accomplish. Bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Fulfill your destiny, Gideon. Fulfill your destiny. Arise, O Gideon. Arise. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.